Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. It's great to see everybody here today on this rainy and uh, little chilly Sunday morning. All right, let's uh, let's begin with a story. It tells a story of a bird, a baby bird, who is hanging around with his mother, and they're in the tree somewhere, you know, kind of chilling. It's, Whatever birds do in trees, and looking for targets, and the, uh, the the baby bird says to the mother bird, "We have to. I, I can't. I can't stay in this tree. This tree is a smelly tree. Yeah, it's a smelly tree. We got to go somewhere else. We got to find some." So the mother bird says, "All right." A little baby bird, let's go fly to another tree. They fly to another tree. They settle in there and they get cozy. And the little bird says, this tree also smells. There's something wrong with this tree. What's with all the trees? They decide to fly away from the tree and go to the park and and land in the grass. And the bird says, the baby bird says again, the grass also smells. Until finally the mother bird looks at the little baby bird and says, oh, there's something in your nose. Let's clean that out. That was a big finish. Okay, so... <laughs> uh, no, well, it's, it's kind of a joke, but... Yeah. Alright, so here's the deal. The truth is that sometimes... This, <laughs> the stuff that's in us, or with us, affects how we see the world. Sometimes, right? Sometimes. Every once in a while. Once, like every jubilee, sabbatical situation. Yeah. Okay. All the time. All the time, what we have going on, how we see the world affects, well, there's the lenses that we put in front of us are how we see the world. And through that, things are, are shifted. So the question is like this. How do we see the world? How do we see the world? When I, when I ask this question, I mean it in the most general sense. Is the world a broken place? Is it a beautiful place? These are the two basic ways of looking at life. It's like a combo. Middle ground. Uh, but a middle ground... Good, good. Wait, but let, let me explain the two poles first. So one, one position is... Good morning. One position is, the world is a broken place. The world is a messed up place. There's, there's so much negativity in the world. And said it's a broken place, we've got to fix it. The other perspective is, and again, I'm giving two sides, but the other perspective is, it's a beautiful place. And even if, for the moment, it doesn't look so beautiful... It's not that it's not really beautiful needs to be fixed. All that needs to happen is we need to uncover the inner beauty. So last week, we spoke about the highest source. If you want to refer to it in this way, we could. The most original spiritual source that Kabbalah teaches for the distinction between the masculine and feminine energies. We had a very complex uh, uh, Kabbalistic lesson and we trace the origin of creation to two systems. Two systems of light. Two systems of life itself. We talked about Eitz Chaim, the uh, Rav Chaim Vital, citing the, the Arizal by Isaac Luria, 
So at the beginning of creation, or before creation, at the beginning, well, when there was no, no such thing as beginning, because time wasn't created yet, there was nothing linear to be a beginning of, but when God was, before anything else, God filled the entire space of existence. This is just a little bit, a brief recap of what we said last week so that we can segue. God filled all of existence. There was only the big light, the infinite light, no other space, no space for anything else. So then God withdrew His presence to the sides. So God pulls to the sides, in a sense, and leaves in the center an empty space. A void. Makampana, an empty space. In that space now is the space for creation to emerge. For otherness to, to, uh, to rise. With the understanding that before God pulls away His presence, there can't be anything other because God fills all space. God is, nothing else can be. When God pulls away, now something else can take that spot, can take that space. But if God is not there, then what's, what will emerge if there's nothing else? So therefore God has to shine a cave, a light, a ray of light from his presence is beyond the space, into the space of the space, and it, with that limited line of light, now creation can emerge. We said last week that in the empty space, the Ramaz writes, Rabbi Moshe Zakuto writes, based on what he heard, the Arizal taught also, is that the space itself, the emptiness, was not void of, 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 of divine energy in totality. But rather, there was a different form of energy in that space. In that space, there was not the infinite energy, but the finite energy of God. It was the ability of God to remove Himself, to withdraw from the situation, to limit Himself. That presence in the space of darkness is paradoxically God's presence of being able to create darkness. Darkness then becomes not an absence of light, per se, but darkness becomes itself its own active force. Not darkness as in evil, but darkness, at least it's in original form, is not evil, but darkness as in the absence of God's presence is itself, paradoxically, its own form of presence. The presence of God removing Himself from that space. The example, the simple example we gave last week was parenting, or, or teaching, where you have a lot to say, but as much as you have to say and instruct, you know that your child is going to learn in the space that you give him or her. As much as they learn when there is an instruction, when there is teaching, when there is, let's call it influence, in, in a, because um, no, there's influence in the other way also. As much as the child is learning when there's a direct communication, when there's an overt communication, the child is learning even more in the absence of such communication, when the child is able to, to, to make choices on their own based on what you've taught them and based on their own experiences and their own perception of, of, of the circumstances. So, in a sense, that absence, that void of your hand holding is. Perhaps, we can say, the greatest demonstration of your presence and your effect. In that, and it takes a strong parent, a strong spouse, a strong teacher, to allow space for the other within which the other can blossom. And the other. So, it's two, so there's really a duality. On the one hand, we have the communication that's being, that's being transmitted from parent to child, from teacher to student, from husband to wife, from wife to husband, etc. There's this transmission, there's a communication, there's something that's being given. And then there's the space, when that's withdrawn, there's the space within, the, within which the other can now rise and, 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 and exert their own personality and their own presence within that space that you've given them. Now, that space that you've given them, as we're saying, is a positive space. It's not a negative space. And when I say positive versus negative, I don't mean good or bad. I mean, it's, 
the space is an active space as opposed to a negative empty space. Because you could have a parent that just doesn't care about the child. God forbid. That just doesn't care. So the space is not a, is not a healthy space. Not that, chi- not that the child can't grow from that as well and can't overcome that. But the, the space is not a healthy space. A pro, a, a, it's not a positive space. It's a negative space. When God creates the world, God doesn't create negative spaces. He creates a positive space. The space is not because God says, do whatever you want. I, I don't want to... This is too, too different than me. You... Here's your space, do whatever you want. This is it, this is you guys. Like, I, don't, I don't want to be involved here. That's not the God that we believe in. That's not the God that we, we dive into. It's not the God that we pray to. It's not the God that we, uh, we receive the Torah from. God cares about what we do. God creates the space out of love, not out of any other reason. So the space now becomes not void of God's presence, but filled with a presence that's a different sort of presence. As we said last week, what the, the, the act of God removing Himself to the side accomplishes is that now, it's this, now one can see that God really has two abilities, in a sense, more than two abilities. But two abilities of, of God emerge. We're not, we're not limiting God to these abilities, but now two dimensions, two, two abilities of God emerge. Number one, the ability to be. Number two, the ability to not be. To not be so that the other can rise on its own. Now, we said that this is the Kabbalistic source, the highest, when I say highest, I mean the most original Kabbalistic source for masculine and feminine energies. The masculine energy comes from God's presence, in a sense from God's, from, from the Kav, from God's transmission, from God's giving light into the space that's empty, whereas the feminine energy derives from the presence within the space itself. Within the space itself, this makampana, this void, this quote-unquote void, we said, was the presence of Hashem. What type of presence of God? The presence of God, that God is allowing space to exist. In other words, that perspective has it, that God is never absent from the space. God is always present in the space. It might look at the child. Let's go back to the child. So the parent, so the child gets instruction. Instruction, guidance, instruction, guidance. Then it comes a point in time when the child suddenly doesn't hear from the parent. The child has a quandary. The child has a question. The child doesn't know what to do. And the parent is not helping. So the child says, that's it. I don't have a parent anymore. I don't have that communication. Where's the guidance? Where's the communication? So one perspective, huh? Kind of like that. Oh, how to get over your room, my life syndrome? Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, the pain was like, what, where's everybody? Like, what's going on? They're all walking away. So one perspective is, they're gone. And if they're gone, so now I have to, have to, get, an, I have to get more guidance. I have to find someone else to guide me. The other perspective has it that they're not gone. They're right there in that space, in that absence. They're there... And they're there, in, and, but they're there in a hidden way in order that you should grow in this experience. You will never grow in this, through this experience if your hand is being held throughout every experience in life. You're not going to grow. You might make the right choices, and that could be debated what's right or wrong. But let's just argument sake. You might make the right choice every time if you're being led to the right choice by, by the hand. But you're not going to grow as a human being. You're not going to... There's still the umbilical cord that's, that's attaching. Life means you cut the cord. Cut the cord, it's painful. So, 
That's it, I don't have love anymore. I don't feel the connection. So what does a child do? A child cries. Baby. The baby cries at birth, right? I'm separated. It was so nice before. You never hear babies crying in the womb. And maybe science will figure out that it happens. I don't think so. I know that I've seen the, the thumb sucking. I've seen other things. I've never seen a baby cry in the womb. You know why? Because it's comfortable. You don't have to think for yourself. You don't have to eat for yourself. You don't have to work to make it. It's warm. It's comfy. Yeah, you have your aquatic lessons going on. You're swimming. You're moving around. It's great. Can't get any better than that. And then real life begins. And this pattern repeats itself. It doesn't only happen once. The pattern repeats itself through the educational process, your formative years, adolescence, teenager, teenager as an adult, and we switch roles and we assume the other side of the role. The point is that where does growth happen? Growth happens in the absence of someone instructing you what to do. Now, understand though, at that, if, if we're dealing with a healthy situation, healthy parents, then again, the, the proper perspective is, it's not that my parent, parents don't love me, care about me, want me to make the right choice, etc. Of course they do. But it's that they want, they want me to make that choice. So in the absence is actually the greatest presence. And it's the greatest, if we want to use a plan word now, it's the greatest present that, parent, that a parent can give, which is the space for the child to assume their own identity and to become a mensch or a manchette. I think Mench's uh, uni uh, is, is, is all good, is, right? Where this person can become a mensch. A mensch and not just be somebody that follows orders well. That's also a good thing. Obedience is good. But the idea to be able to grow, that's profound. And again, these two perspectives. One, they've left me. I'm forsaken. I have to find, I have to find someone else to tell me what to do. In a sense, we have to be careful with this. My running disclaimer is still running. That's the masculine perspective. The masculine energy says, it's not here, we have to fix it. It's broken, we have to fix it. Whereas the feminine energy, and again, this comes from the original source of masculine and feminine energies, at the highest, at the highest sources. The original symptom, the symptom Arishan, the first withdrawal of light, right at the beginning. Even before creation arose, these are, the two, these are the two energies. The other energy says, we don't have to fix anything. It's right here. We just have to, have to demonstrate how this, this space is, my, is the best place for me to be in to grow. When I embrace that, then it becomes a beautiful place to be in. I'm not fighting the space. I'm not fighting the absence and saying, this is terrible, this is, this is, I, this is cruel, this is unusual, this is, this is not good, this is unhealthy, I don't have instruction, I don't have guidance, I don't know what to do. I'm not fighting it. I'm embracing the opportunity to grow. This is the feminine energy perspective. That in the void, in what looks like the void, there actually is the greatest presence, the greatest opportunity. Whereas the masculine energy says, there's nothing here. We've got to bring in stuff from the asset. We've got to import light. We've got to import direction. Because otherwise, we've got, we got an empty spot. We've got to fill it up. What I'm going to say today, what I'm going to do, we're going to get to questions in a second. I just, I just want to, because this was all last week. I want to lead into what we're going to talk about. And then we're going to take, what I'm going to say today is, what I would like to share is how we see these ideas reflected, and again, running disclaimer, in male-female relationships. How do we see these two perspectives come to the fore, come to rise? And it does, okay, running, perspective, running uh, disclaimer is, is there. Jen. I was just going to say that it can be very empowering when your parents don't stand, because sometimes if you get it, 
Right. And what is that, so what does that require? Wait, you have to answer, wait, wait. That requires how I started. The, bird, the little bird has, a, has stuff in its nose. Let's, uh, it has stuff in its nose. So wherever it is, it sees something, it smells something terrible. It's terrible, it's wrong, it's bad, it's messed up, it stinks. In other words, how, when, what determines whether the child... Now I have to be careful with this. Not, not all, uh, when it comes to the child, it's not only the child. But what determines, at least in a health, if it's coming from a healthy place from the parents, whether the child will view the space as an opportunity or as a tragedy, it's really the child. It's really the perspective. And again, even this needs to be educated. A parent has to teach a child this as well. Because how, how, should, a child, how should a human being know this automatically? So this also has to be taught. But then, there's a balance. Look, the, the creation creation happens through an interplay between void and, and between cav and, and empty space. Empty space and, 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 and drawing in light. So it's an interplay between these two, which is why masculine and feminine energies, everyone has both, everyone needs both. You need an interplay between the two. But, but as you're saying, a healthy, when the chi- if the child recognizes that this, is, that this is my opportunity to shine, then it's empowering. But again, it's about, it's only if the child feels it, yeah couple things come to mind. I mean, what you're talking about is clearly reflected in the biology of men and women as well. Sure. I mean, the, the, the space which has the potential for the potential for right. creation versus the... The calf. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, in some, in many traditions they say that God is in the silence. God is in the pause. Right. Because that's an opportunity... That's where the and the whole the whole concept of in photography of what they call a negative space or you know what visually I mean there is no it, there has to be a contrast between space and that's why my pictures all come out terrible right because I'm like making oh I don't have the no I, I know exactly what you mean too much stuff right there has to be some kind of I like that that's why we have a space right in the middle. This is where all the ma- all the magic is right in there. We're just- no, that's. I mean, be- now I would say I would say one thing. God is in the silence. Here's the thing. It's not that God. This. It's not that God is not in the in the space of light as well. But to recognize that God is also in the silence. That's a profound realization, and that is that is absolutely. That is inherently or essentially connected with the feminine energy. To recognize that God is in the silence, that's a feminine, the way Kabbalah explains, a feminine quality. Not that men can, again, if you're wondering what this running disclaimer is, it's when we talk about feminine masculine energies, it's not exclusive to men and women. It sometimes does emerge, and we see it like that, but it doesn't have to be. But the, and, and, we, we're, and we're meant to, to integrate both types of, of reactions, of perspectives, in our own life, so that's the running disclaimer. But we, but this is certainly connected with the feminine energy, the ability to perceive God in the silence. Yeah. I don't know a lot of Hebrew, but I happen to know that the uh, Hebrew for womb is Rechem, mm-hmm. and it's related to Rachmanut, to compassion. Compassion, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so it seems to me that that's a very uh, beautiful feminine kind of analogy. When I see, I brought my own former labor and delivery nurse today. Oh wow! This question I'm going to ask you because. Any woman who's uh, been in labor, I, I used to, every time I was in labor, I would say, did the kid decide it's time, or did the womb decide? And if you haven't had an epidural, you haven't had the drugs, I think you would only conclude it's the, it's the womb that decides, that muscle that is 
unbelievable that does this push. Um, I don't know what the answer is. Does the child decide it's time to be born, or does the womb decide? I don't, or is there, is there not such a clear-cut answer? But I'm saying that that's an amazing feminine energy in yeah. itself, a very dynamic energy of the power of the, of the womb to provide that space and, to, and also to create that independence finally. It's exactly the right. There's a space... And then there's like, okay, now you got to go. Now you got to go. Now it's time. And it, for the child to recognize. And again, I think that I think it does relate to this. I mean, I don't want to steal Rabbi Shay's tabs. By the way, does anybody have this book? Who has this book? Will you do me a favor? Everybody do me a favor. I feel like it was Perlman. Take this book right here. Take your book. Open it to the inside flap. What do you see? Take a look where it says, uh, oh, you don't have a flap. Oh, you use my flap. You see that where it says Feminine Faith? A discourse by, translated by... Oh, sure. I say stop. So that's that's yeah. So he so he's actually he's unbelievable. He's amazing. He's, I'm so sad I'm missing it. Well, he's a tremendous. But here's the point. The point is, I think it does relate to this concept. And I don't want to steal his thunder because I don't know exactly what he's talking about. I haven't heard his speech before. Um, but this concept of embracing independence, of embracing the space that you have, it's a feminine energy, but it's something that we all need to understand. We all need to embrace. We all need to embrace the space that we've been given for ourselves to thrive and to grow and to, to really stand on our own two feet. Now, with that being said, it doesn't mean that all space that's given by parents is healthy. Sometimes it's, it's, I, it's too much. I can't. I can't. God forbid. Anyway, here's the point. I want to get back to this. Let's get back to masculine and feminine. Here's, here's the way I want to refer to it. Men, and again, I'm generalizing, so every time you hear generalization, the running disclaimer is there, discard the generalization, but here's the generalization. Men want to fix things. Wait, uh, do I use the word fix? Maybe. Men want to fix things. No, I don't know if this is the right term. I, I want to look at it from a different way. This came to me this morning. This, this, came, this came to me this morning. A woman, a relationship. Let's say, yeah, a woman, the woman says to the, the, the lady, the, the woman says to the man, she says, I want to talk about a relationship. I think like we need to work on, we need to talk about the relationship. What's the guy's reaction? That's exact. every single time, every single time, holy shnikes, what is wrong in this, what, shnikes is, uh, that's kosher, that's what we used to say, shnikes is kosher, absolutely kosher, what happened, what did, huh, holy shnikes Batman, what happened, to think about it, the, 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 the woman says, we, should, we need to talk about the relationship, we need to work on the relationship, the guy's reaction, understand where this is coming from. This came to me this morning. Understand where this is coming from. Let's let's and and if 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 it is true what I'm saying or not true, just indulge me here because I this is this is the way I'm going with it. She's thinking. Listen, listen. She's thinking. It's good, but 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 it can get better. Why? Why? Because I'm because I want to cultivate the garden because it's beautiful. I see I see a potential here. I see a beautiful potential. And we need to and we need to bring it out. We need to and we need to work on it. We need to pull out the weeds. We need to cultivate it. The guy hears, you're telling me it's not working. Oh, the guy starts getting the sense of this is you're tell you're essentially telling me. And from a guy's perspective, I can I can speak at least for myself. What <laughs> I feel like I need a couch here. No, so the <laughs> Huh? We're taking notes. Here's, here's the deal. The good news is Leia's in New York right now, so this is, which I'll talk about soon. Anyway, so the, the, 
the guy's perspective is, oh no, you're telling me it's not working, you're telling me it's broken. Oh no, I'm feeling threatened to the entire existence or sustainability of this relationship, right? You're feeling with the whole thing, and she wasn't saying that. She was saying, let's make it better. So she's looking at it as there's this inner energy. Understand that the masculine feminine energy is the way we trace it to the source. In the void, there is, the, there's no void. It's there. We just have to bring it out. That's the feminine perspective. We can bring it out. The guy's perspective is, oh, you're telling me it's empty. Oh no, I need to bring it, we need to do something else. Oh, it's not working. I'm feeling threatened that, because there's, the man sees the void and sees a void. The woman sees a void and doesn't see a void. She sees another thing. Another thing. A woman, yeah, one more example. And, and I may take heed for this, but I'm, I, yeah, understand this in the in limited context that I mean it. So, we, we know that there's a concept of women trying to change men. We've heard the concept before. We've, huh? we've heard it. I'm not say, I don't want to say always. Or not. We've heard the concept. I want to, I want to explain something. The concept of, so somebody says, so what are you trying... What did you try to change him? What do you? What did you think? You think you could change him? Understand, understand the distinction. And it doesn't only come from. It's not necessarily gender specific. But the point is like this: somebody says, you say, you didn't see that. How are you trying to change him? When you say, wasn't trying to change him. I saw something inside that could be brought out. You see the difference? You see the difference? No. You see the difference? I wasn't trying to change him. I saw that he had something beautiful inside. I saw that there was a depth, that there was a soul, that there was a, a powerful spirit inside. And my, and my approach is cultivation. Bring it out. So you're telling me, why? so the, the guy says, you, why are you trying to change him? Because the guy doesn't see the inside. And it doesn't have to be a guy, because it could be a, a friend also. The point is, the other one might not see the inside, and therefore says, you were trying to change him. What were, what were you thinking? And you're, and you're thinking, I wasn't trying to change him. Because change implies that it wasn't there, but I saw it there. I think the women are, they do try to change them. In my opinion, huh? just got out of prison. He's really that, well, what, what did you say? He really has a sweet soul. In other words, you're saying, I'm not trying to change. Understand. One thing is change. In other words, it's not there. Let me import it. This is the guy's perspective. It's broken. We've got to fix it. Fix it means it's broken. The other perspective is it's whole. It's just covered up with stuff. It's the difference. I, I, I'm not going to get into the whole story with the, the previous Lubavitcher Rabbi. But the point, the difference between a Sefer Torah, a, to, a Torah scroll, and the tablets that Moses got. We haven't seen the tablets, but any engraved stone. You can have letters written on parchment, ink on parchment. And a Sefer Torah has a certain type of parchment and a certain type of ink. And you can scrape it off. You take a little sharp, uh, you take a little, one of the, a little blade, and you can actually scrape it off if you need to rewrite it, or it could crack, rolling and scrolling and going back and forth and rubbing it with the, with the, the thing to kiss it. So letters come off. This is why uh, my grandfather is a sofer. I grew up, uh, you know, seeing him uh, tend to Sifri Torah, to Torah scrolls, you know, my whole childhood. He was always fixing it. He still is fixing them. And, and a Torah scroll, the letters come off. Now, when it comes to a stone that has engraving, the letters are always there. Even if years go by, of course the stone could be, could be worn away, but years can go by and, and, and dust and dirt can build up in the things, but all you have to do is clean it out. In other words, the letters are, are they're part of, they're inherent to the stone. The letters are there. You don't create a letter. It's not superimposed, one thing on top of another. Yeah, ink on parchment, you have two things. You have the parchment and the ink on top of it. So if you have two things, even if they're in close proximity, you can always pull them apart. 
when you have engraved letters in stone, it's there, it's part of the stone. You cannot pull it out of the stone. It's part of the stone. Guess what? It's the void of the stone is where the letters are. Think about that. The emptiness of the stone is actually the positive letter. Anyway, the point is like this. The point is that those types of letters don't get erased. Yeah, someone can destroy a cemetery, obviously. God forbid. But, but the point is that, that those letters in a stone, even if, they, if you can't read them, you just pull out the, pull out the dirt and it's there. And so the one perspective is that each of us is like a letter on parchment. And sometimes we're missing, so we've got to be filled in, we've got to fix it. The other perspective is, you don't have to fix it. You just uncover that it's, all, that, it's, that it's already there. One is the masculine perspective, the, the former, the latter is the feminine perspective. Now, men and women both need to have both perspectives. A healthy balance. But this one is a masculine perspective, and one is, one is the masculine energy perspective, one is the feminine energy perspective. I think it's, what you just reiterated is really crucial. That it's not men are like this and women are like this. Because 100%. on a personal level, you, I really thrive when I have the ability to find solutions and fix it. Right. When my mind remains open enough to not want to fix it immediately. So it's not... It's not specific. One or the other. And we need both. And we need both. And so I want to share with you the following. I want to share with you the the vision that I was taught for the world. The world vision that I was taught. And I was taught this by by my Rebbe, by my Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. His vision was that the world is a beautiful place. His first, very first public address that he gave in 1951 upon assuming the official leadership of the Chabad Lubavitch movement was the world is a garden. Right after the Holocaust. The world is a beautiful place, the world is a garden. But the problem is that it doesn't look like it from the outside. So people say that it's broken. So people say that it looks like a jungle, not a garden. And so what he did was he sent out thousands and thousands of, of, of men and women across the world, whether it was a, on a permanent thing, permanent gig, or on a temporary summer, a few weeks in the summer gig, to go around and to tell others to teach this idea that, the world is a, that you are a beautiful person, that the world is a beautiful place. This is the singular message of Chabad. To teach the world, to teach every community that the world is a beautiful place, and that every single person has amazing potential, has, has, a, has a beautiful soul inside, that could be brought out. What about the serial killers? They have beautiful Let's speak about the, the, the majority. The, 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 we, we, we can speak about the exceptions. Huh? They were all born innocent. We've got to speak about the, the exceptions we'll, we'll leave for a little bit later. So this is, this is, uh, this is the message. So here's, here we find the duality. I want to point out this. We find the duality then in this approach let's say the Chabad approach, we find that both energies being utilized. Number one, you're saying, you're sending out, sending out shluchim and shluchot. You're sending out couples into the world. One can say it's, it's the outgo. You're going out there. You're conquering the world. But how are you doing it? By revealing the beauty within. No one's, no one's creating a soul. No one's, it's all about educating and, and, and bringing the beauty with the, bringing the, the inner beauty out so it's here's the deal we spoke about this last week maybe the week before 
that this process of cultivate of, of really changing the world doesn't happen by changing the world. It really happens by revealing the inherent beauty in the world. It's a purely feminine energy process. But you also need a masculine energy as well. I think it's by no coincidence, as we talk about this subject, that right now there are thousands and thousands of, in my opinion, the most powerful women of the world together in Brooklyn, New York for the International Conference of Shluchos, of Chabad women from around the world. Two or three thousand women from around the world. My wife is there as well. And the Rebbe was so revolutionary in the sense of explaining the role of Chabad couples and explaining how the, how the Rebbetsons play such a crucial role and perhaps an even more crucial role than, than their husbands. This was the Rebbe's teaching. And I want to say, and in order to, to really demonstrate this perspective in a powerful way, I want to share with you this handout. This is uh, reclaiming a story in Torah that has been for thousands of years looked at one way, perhaps, completely reclaiming the story. The story I'm referring to is the story of Dina. You may have read a book about that, but I'm going to tell you the way the Rebbe looked at this story. The book, you have to remember, the book is a book of fiction. So whatever you read from Mrs. Diamond, from Anita Diamond, understand that this is... Understand that the book was... was the book got... I, I want to explain a little bit about the book. I don't want to, it's not a book review. Because I, I didn't read the whole book. I read it the beginning. The book caught a lot of flack from what we might call traditionalists. Let me... In my opinion, the only reason why I caught any flack is because it was so well written. It was so well, it's historical fiction, it was so well written that people said, oh my gosh, you're besmirching the name of... It's historical fiction. It's okay. Someone's writing a book. But she was, if it wasn't a good book, if people didn't really attach to the characters, then no one would care. It was a good book. But this is the story, but that was, that's a book. I want to share with you, huh? You know, Rabbi, put out a fatwa on her. For, no. what? Well, how would you define fatwa? We like a religious hit? Yeah. No, 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 we don't do that. No, that's not us. Like Salman Rushdie, like he wrote a book that they didn't like, so, oh, kill him. Yeah, no, no, no. no. Yeah, we didn't go there. No, 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 not at all. No. It's okay. All right, so, um, all right, here's the dealio. This is the story, and again, what I want, I want to take you through, it's, it's a controversial story. And it's, it's, the extent of the controversy, even in Jewish sources, you're not even going to find on this paper, and we can't even get into it, because there's, we just don't have the time. But I want to go through this a little bit. Alright? I want to go through this a little bit. Ready? Um, David, please read where it says abduction. This is a story. These are the two verses in Genesis chapter 34, right at the beginning of chapter 34, that talk about Dina's abduction. Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And Shechem. Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the land, saw her and he abducted her. Okay. All right, this is the, so this is the story of Dina, Dina and Dina's abduction. The rest of the story, the way it plays out, we know the rest of the story. But I want to focus on one thing. I want to focus on Rashi's comment. And, and again, let's, let's read this, and we're going to read this together, and we're going to work through this together. And I want to show you the amazing, in my opinion, in 1986, after thousands of years of understanding the story in one way, the Rebbe reclaimed Dina. 
Nothing short of that. Continue. Um, uh, Maria, please read the next one. Because of her going out, she is called the daughter of Leah. For Leah, too, was an outdoor, as it is written, and Leah went out to greet him. Regarding her, it has been said, like mother, like daughter. Un- hold on. Understand this? You should have a, a distaste in your mouth right now. Okay? This is what this should evoke. Let me explain exactly what Rashi seems to be saying. Seems to be saying. Rashi says as follows. Rashi is noticing when the Torah introduces us to Dina. In the first text, it is, she's referred to as Dina, the daughter of... Why does the Torah tell us that she's the daughter of Leah? Who cares? Or, not who cares. We know who Dina is. We read about her birth few chapters before. Why does the Torah find it necessary, germane, to tell us, who is Dina, the daughter of Leah? She goes out and this is what happens. Rashi says, because Leah too was an outgoer, she also would go out. As it's, and I'm, I'm, I'm using inflection because this is the way it's typically understood until 1986. As it is written, and Leah went out to greet him. Where is that referring to? The, what is that referring to? When Leah, the mandrakes, remember the story with Ruvain, her, her son found mandrakes, which were good for fertility, and her sister, um, Rachel, saw the mandrakes, and she said, I would like the mandrakes, and she said, I'll trade you the mandrakes for tonight, because Jacob had a night with the wives, and she's, so when Jacob comes home, she meets him, she goes out to greet him, so, oh, she goes out, like, like Dina goes out. Like mother, like, regarding her, it said, like mother, like daughter. Sounds like, and, and then she gets abducted. So, what does it sound like? Blaming the victim. This is how it should sound, so far. Okay. Let's take a look at the next text. This is going back a few chapters. This is going back a few chapters where it says protection. Doors take it away. And Jacob took his two wives, his two handmaidens, and his eleven sons, and he crossed the fort of Jabbok. This is where Jacob is encountering, uh, preparing to encounter Esau, Esau, his brother. He crosses the river, crosses the fort of Jabok, Yabok, and who does he take? His wives, his handmaidens, his eleven sons. Who's missing? Huh? Dina. Rashi, continue. Where was Dina? Jacob had placed her in a chest and locked her in, lest Esau set his eyes on her. For this Jacob was punished, for had he not withheld her from his brother, perhaps she would have brought Esau back to the proper path. See this? That's Rashi. Same, same author. Same Rashi. Rashi says that hiding Dina is a good thing or not a good thing. Terrible thing. Why? Because Dina could have had a positive effect on Esau. Esau, Esau of Harasha, the evil, wicked Esau. The Torah says Dina, it's, she had the potential to have influence on him to bring out, not to change him, to bring out his inner potential. Why her? Like, why? She had this power. The Rebbe says, why? She got the power from her mother. Like mother, like daughter. Let me explain. Turn the page where it says destiny. Ed, please read this next text. Now this is talking about Leah. It said the Torah says that Leah... Oh, I, I, for some reason... No, no, this is the wrong quote. 
No, it's not Genesis twenty nine seventeen. I'm sorry, I have the wrong. Uh, I have the wrong thing. This is this is this is the Torah. This is a commentary. This is from the Midrash or from Rashi. I don't remember where this is where I took this from, but this is it's not it's not in the Torah. This is this is a commentary. There's probably Rashi on it. Rashi explains why was Leah a Naim Rakot? Her her eyes were were weak. Her eyes were weak. The Torah says. Rashi says, why were her eyes weak? Because she was crying. Why was she crying? She wept over the thought that she would fall. She would fall to the lot of Asa. For everyone was saying, Rebecca has two sons, and Laban has two daughters. The elder son, Esau, is destined for the elder daughter, Leah, and the younger son, Jacob, for the younger daughter, Rachel. Understand? There were two sisters and two brothers, Esau and Yaakov, Esau and Jacob, and, and Rachel and Leah and Rachel. So the older should marry the older. They were saying, oh, the families, eh? the older should marry the older, the younger should marry the, the younger. So Leah knows that she's destined, or she thinks that, or she hears, she, everyone's saying that she's destined to marry Asaph, and so she's crying. It turns out she doesn't marry him. They both marry Yaakov. But you know what the Torah is telling us? You know what the commentators are telling us? And that saved him. But she could have had a positive, she could have brought out, potentially. So here's the deal. Sometimes, the way it works, a trait that is recessive within the parent can become dominant in the child. A parent can have brown eyes. The child might have blue eyes. How? How does that happen? Because the, the eyes, there, it was a recessive trait that didn't become, it didn't, even though it was there in the parent, in the mother, let's say, it didn't express itself in the mother. It only comes out in the daughter. The Rebbe says that in 1986, the Rebbe's revolutionary take on the entire story, he says, Dina was fulfilling the destiny of her mother. She was the outgoing woman in a positive sense. Just like her mother Leah had the potential to affect positively, though to, to bring out the beauty, she went to the daughters of, of the land. She went to be a positive influence. Now, it ended up, there was, a, it was, there was an abduction and, and, a, and a, a tragic turn of events. But that wasn't, God forbid, up in any way related to her positive act. The Rebbe says what she did was positive. Now, why do bad things happen to good people? We don't know. This is the big question. But it wasn't that she did something, God forbid, that wasn't positive. She was, she was following, in a sense, the destiny of her mother. And in a sense, when the Torah compares, when Rashi compares, Leah went out to greet him. Leah went out to greet her husband. It was also, that Rashi says, or the commentator said, L'shem Shemaim Neskavna. She had intention, L'shem Shemaim, for the sake of heaven. She said, it's my night with you in order to have more tribes, in order to bring more, more tribes into the world. It was a positive thing, it wasn't a negative thing. The Rebbe's take on it is, the takeaway is as follows. Or the take, I hope, this, I hope the, the perspective is clear. The take on it is like this. The role, and the Rebbe said this clearly in that, in that, in that talk in 1986. For too long, it's been said that the role of the woman is not, to, is not to go out and to affect and to influence. It's to kind of stay in the background and say, Rebbe said this is not the Torah's way. The woman has a profound ability to affect and to, I don't use the word change because we said before it's more of a masculine, but, but change in the sense of changing what looks by bringing out the, the essential beauty. Influencing, influencing in a profound way, in a deeper way than the man. And the Rebbe said, "This is my call to anyone who wants to listen. That that and, and any 
couples, any families that are out there uh, on the fronts in the world, that there's an active role. That both husband and wife have a very active role to play. And they can each bring their own unique abilities to the table. The husband might do it one way, and the wife might do it a different way. But they both have an equally outgoing role. This was the Rebbe's take on the story. So the Dina... So, and the Rebbe says that, this, that Rashi, he interprets Rashi as also being positive. He's not giving his own interpretations. Rashi is actually referring to a positive thing. Because of her going out, she's called the daughter of Leah. Leah also went out for a positive thing. Leah also went out to have more tribes. It was a positive thing. And her destiny was to have an effect in that way. And even though she didn't do it, she wanted her daughter to do it. To go out there and have an influence. Even though she didn't end up marrying Asa. And by the way, we know that Dina had a profound effect. The way the stories are told in the Medrash, what happened to... She had a profound effect on those around her. So, the message here is that when we talk about the, the masculine and feminine energies, and how each one has its own flavor, its own shade, and it, it's manifest in, to a certain extent in men and women, etc. It doesn't mean that there's a less active role, a more active role, on the contrary. On the contrary. Both men and women, both masculine and feminine energy, have a very active role. They have unique talents and abilities that they can bring to the table. And again, each person has a unique blend of all of these energies. Anyway, that's, um, that's the idea. So the idea is that, the way we've, we've explained it, is that the feminine energy is more about bringing out, bringing out the, see, first of all, seeing the inherent beauty and therefore wanting to bring it out, whereas the male, the masculine energy is not being able to see the inherent beauty, and therefore saying, okay, we've got to fix it if it's not there. That's the, that's the, uh, the duality. All right, yeah? I'm just wondering if, according to Kabbalah, Torah, what, like, what happens if, if somebody has an imbalance, if they have more male, is that possible according to, I mean, I want to say imbalance. Yeah. Energy, what, what no, no, it's, I want to say imbalance. I would say every... Every, everyone's got both energies, but I would say most people have, are, are shifted one way or the other. It's, it's, so no it's a good thing. No, it's a good thing. It means that you... Here's the deal. Here's the deal. We, we spoke about this in, in many different contexts with the sfirot, with the balancing, chesed, gvura. Here's the deal. Each of us is given. We all have a blend of all of the energies. Whether, it's, whether you want to look at it as masculine, feminine, or whether you want to look at a chesed, gvura, tefaris, however you want to look at it. We all have a blend of all the energies. We're meant to do two things. One, one major thing, which is make the world a better place, utilizing our unique abilities. Which means, yeah. if a person has more of something, yeah. utilize that gift, utilize that energy for, in a positive way. It's not viewed as an imbalance. No, it's no, no. Pe- yes. No, somebody, no, no, no. The, the whole, looking at the pathology, pathology is the right word? The negative, how, what, what's the pathology. Look at the pathology is more of, okay, so let me tell you what's wrong. No, no, we're not saying what's Utilize, utilize, on the contrary. Let's look at it from the positive. Torah always looks at it from the positive. What gifts do you have? What gifts does the person have? What gifts, what inner energy do you bring to the table that you can utilize in a positive way? And know that whatever energy you have, you can utilize it to make a difference in someone's life. Whether it's in one way or another way, you can make a difference. Now, sometimes... We feel like, well, maybe the energy that I have, if I have, going back to Gvur, even though we're not talking about it, if I have a, like, a, like a harsh tendency, so maybe, so how do I utilize that? Okay, well, there are ways to channel that as well. And maybe sometimes you've got to suppress that in order to do something positive. But typically, so, yeah. typically we utilize the energies that we have, 
And we don't see, we don't say, well, what's wrong? How come I how come I'm, I'm shifted toward Chesed or toward Vur or to whatever to, to different energies? So what's wrong? Or how do I how do I how do I? That's not a Jewish belief. No, we're not looking at pathology. No. Sold. <laughs> I'm thinking auction here. I saw the hand. Okay, good. What you got? Uh, can I go back to the um, just the, uh, the tablets for a second? Yeah, for sure. Um, when we uh, think about unconditional love, um, yeah. we are looking, we, we, we start to label things. And we label things not only, you know, mass within an energy, but also, you know, what's good and what's bad. Yeah, 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 for sure. So that tablet is amazing because it's a very uh, delicate kind of finesse thing. I mean, how do you unconditionally love yourself? How do you unconditionally label yourself? So the tablet was amazing because... Whether you know it's more positive, raised, or more feminine, it's right. the same rock. Right. I mean, it's really just yeah. the same stuff. Right. So. Right. You know, there's two sides of the same coin in a sense. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In our society, you know, we, we tend to think, oh, we always have to be positive. We always have to be, you know, hyperactive. Which is better? Yeah. We always look at it in that way. Which is better? Which is worse? Better. We always make judgments about it. And then, therefore, if we're philosophical, if we're something like that, we're depressed. Right. Oh, we're depressed because we're not hyperactive. We're not ultra, you know, energetic this particular day. So, um, getting rid of the, the label of you know masculine or feminine or you know wondering what what kind of energy that is. Um, it, it seems like it's all good energy. And like you know the, the blank space, like that could be maybe dark versus you know the concrete space that could be light. Right. And, you know, getting rid of that. Uh, it seems like you know within each one of us there's darkness or there's more passive energy and then there's more active energy. But knowing you know just looking at the tablets, if it's all godly energy, then it's not a judgment. Right. It's not a good or bad. Exactly. Person. Whatever mood you're in, whatever kind of energy you have, and that's the subtle thing. The subtle thing is that you know whatever you're experiencing, and then looking out at the world, everybody's got different things to, to bring to the table. And there's no judgment of, oh, well, that's a bad thing, and that's a good thing. I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. This is also remarkable in, in, the, in the Rebbe's approach to it as well, echoing these things. When people would, let's say, become more, they, re, they become inspired Jewishly and want to and you know, uh, grow in their observance or whatever, and they would often come and say, well, you know, I'm a musician. Should I stop playing music? Like, what should I, like, what is, Rebbe would always be, would always say, because the person, you don't know, you're asking. So, and, and some might say, no, it's not kosher, etc. The Rebbe's approach was always, whatever your gifts are and your talents are, utilize them. Don't discard them. They're your gifts. They're what make you unique. You know, I've heard, I've seen it written where, you know, some people say, oh, Chabad, Chabad is a cult. Chabad is like, a, think about it. The Rebbe was all about empowering. I don't know. Some people may say, so, uh, you never found an individual who was more empowering and more, go out there and use whatever you have and make a difference more than the Lubavitch Rebbe. You, you no one in history was such a leader of empowerment as opposed to keeping, keeping suppressed. No one in history. Read the book, The Rebbe's Army. You'll see. It's, 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 un, it's unparalleled in human history. Find an individual that believed so much in others and gave so much empowerment to other people. On, on a global scale, on an absolutely global scale, never in history, never in history, in my opinion, who in history created a global army? Who? Never happened. Anyway, yeah. 
Ah, it's working. Yes. Kind of in between. Yeah. In other words, no, the world is not a jungle. The world's a beautiful place. And if it looks like a jungle, it means that you've got to pull out the weeds and reveal the beauty within. Yeah. One perspective is, it's, it's empty. Again, the, how do we look at the Makampan? How do we look at the empty space? Is there no godliness and now we've got we to import? We've got to import God? Or do we say, no, 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 God is right here. That's the question. It's a central question. I don't want to get lost in the semantics of jungle and, 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 uh, and, and garden. Because the point is simple. The point is, how do we understand the world? Is it, is it a jungle? In other words. But see, you could make anything bad good. Yeah. If there's no good... Well, that's the point, I think. It's your perspective on how you view it. Wait, maybe I don't understand, I don't understand the question. Explain well, the question. If there's no good yeah. and no bad, then you could make anything that happens. That's not... Oh. No, no, I'm not saying there's no good or bad. No, I'm not saying there's no good or bad. No, 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 no. He's referring to the approaches. There's an approach, approach of, of how do we see things. No, 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 there's two things. There's, there's the perspective, and then there's the reality. Andrew, wait, wait, hold on, there's two things. There's two things. One is, how do I view the world? Is it a good place or a bad place? That's one thing. And then there's the other thing is, whether I view it as a good place that I'm cultivating, or I view it as a place that's not good, and I have to make it good... I'm still making it good, understand? Even if I have the cynical approach, even if I have, I would say, the more masculine approach, which is, oh, it's broken, i got to fix it. In other words, it's not, it's, it's not good, it doesn't work. Uh-oh, i got to fix it. It's still a positive thing. If I'm, if I'm endeavoring to make a, to make a difference, to, make a, to bring goodness into the world, it's a good thing. So the, the, both of them are positive, are positive energies, in a sense. The negative that we're talking about is whether or not the world itself... I mean, yeah, I'm not getting caught up in But yeah, that's... I hope that made sense. Yeah. I don't know. I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain on this, too. Like, terrorists think they're doing something good in the world. That's what they think. That's their perspective. So, I don't under... I don't know. I'm sort of... I, I, taking life... I, I, I don't know. Taking life is never a good thing. I'm, I'm, I, it's, that's, that's another issue. I mean, yeah, that's rationalizing. That's not... anger that underlies... That, this is... Yeah, this, we're talking about somebody else. We're, we're talking about... We're talking about a movement... Once, we're talking about a movement that says the world is a beautiful place. Let's show how beautiful it is. And you're talking about a movement that says we need to kill people to, 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 further, for, uh, yeah, to further an end. Talking about perspective, I guess. To them, that's a good thing. No. But I, but I, but terrorism, but terrorism is not. It's a different subject. Yeah. The thing is, why do bad things happen to good people? And most people use that argument to like, why should I believe in God if He's letting all these bad things happen to good people? Yeah. Okay. And the and the point is, we don't know. Right. And I mean, and that's and that's the truth. But look at the Rebbe's response to the Holocaust. It's not like victim, white. It's make, show how the world is a beautiful place. And the more light you shine, the less space there is for darkness to exist. Right, you know, it's it's just like when when you're having to clean up a mess. And and, and it's like one thing you can be, like what you're saying, like to pretend like nothing needs to be, that's what our purpose here. Each tragedy, each problem that we have personally is our clue to what our mission is in this whole tikkun along. You know, so if you're aware of it, you know, be the change you want to see. You know, that's, that's pretty yep. But the only thing I don't understand yep. about that is,
is, and I keep coming back to this a little bit, try to overcome it sometimes. It seems like good always comes out of a negative consequence in the Torah, in, in, in challenges, in right. sinsome, in a way, yeah. in cutting back, taking back from my kid. Like, I, I just had that experience. I took back yeah. from him, and he's grown tremendously, but it had to be right. negative first. Right. Well, it had to look negative. It looks negative. It negative. But here's... Why is it got... That's anxiety on me. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. No, 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 no. I know. I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I think that that this is the profound thing that we're learning here, which is you got to think in a different space. You got to think in a different space and recognize that that sometimes. What, you got to punish to get the best. No, 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 no. We're not talking about punishment. No, we should never punish. We're not talking about punishment. But the po- I think the point is to, to change to change the way you're th- you're viewing it. That you're not dealing with. Uh, so I, you know, you're asking you're asking the question. Just give and say here, 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 and then have positive things. You're, you're saying why why does someone need space to grow? Why, why, no, why because I understand that. Well, I may, maybe your question should start at the top. Why couldn't God create the world with His light there? What, God couldn't pull it off? God had... God had... Well, no. He first took away His light, and then He... In other words, why, why can't God just... God can figure it out. God can be there and create us. Oh, God can't do it. You're limiting God. In other words, you can make the argument. Why did it have to happen in such a seemingly rational way where God has to create the space and then put us in? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We know free will. There's a lot that you can look. There's a lot that you can talk about over here. But the point is that this is this is a structure. This is a structure. We have you have that thing, but it's not a negative. It's saying don't make the judgment of it's a negative experience. I'm trying to go back to the Exodus story. Yeah. Go back to Exodus. Yeah, because it plagues. Well, no. Who let the frogs out? <laughs> Yeah, we went there. That just happened. That just happened. <laughs> In order to, become, to claim your, your, your freedom, it has to be constricted. Right. Oh, he's asking why. I know I understand the question. Why, is it, why does it have to come through? There's a lot of growth that happens that way. Now, why, but why does it have to happen that way? Ultimately, ultimately, what you're asking is that the highest question, why did God have to create... Darkness before light. Why did there have to be a sense before light? Why couldn't there? Why couldn't there be this thing to allow us the space to create it? Why did he have to allow us to do so? We should feel like like we're contributing. Why does he have to have that? He, well, gave, he gives the greatest gift, the gift of space. Born fully formed. Yeah. But again, you could you could always ask, but what, can't there be contrast without contrast? I'm with you. I'm with you. I, but I think I think that what it comes down to is giving, really empowering us. We're, we're really, and I think this goes back to the actual essence of the garden analogy, which is, well, if it's a garden, why does it look like a garden? And the answer is because God wants to give us a job as gardeners. That's the answer. Because God wants us to be gardeners, and if we, if the garden looks like, if the garden is beautiful on its own, then we don't have a job. And if we don't have a job. Talk about no job security. I'm like, like, oh yeah, we're, the worst thing in the world is when somebody gives you a job and there's nothing to do. Yeah. It's like, go watch, um, you know, the grass grow. It's like, okay. 
give me a job that I that I can that I can be fulfilled. God gives us the greatest gift. Now, but but who created the sense of fulfillment? And couldn't God create give us a sense of fulfillment in a different way? Watching grass grow, God could have rewired us to have that. I, I understand. You could always ask on that level. At the, I, I guess what it comes down to is God wants gives us the ability to to emulate Him. Straight up, God gives us the ability to emulate Him, and and His. We'll see it down. God's gift to us is the gift of uh, of purpose, of cre- of creating, of 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 of, of con- contribution. God creates a partnership with the with the human being. We're contributing. God allows us the space to be contributors to His world. So God creates the world with a little bit of an opening. It says the world is created with a hay, a little open at the top, open at the side. Or a bet, it's open on one side. There's always an opening. It's always like, oh, something falling out that we can pick up and put back in. There's always something like, you know, think of the letter bet and think of like, there's something kind of sliding out as you move along. It's like, oh, I got it. I got it back. This is, this is our job. This is our role. And, and, and without the role, so then we would be angels. And if we were angels, we wouldn't know any better. We wouldn't know that we're missing anything. So ignorance is bliss. You know, you could, you could cycle through it, but I think that at the end of the day, you know, what we have, I don't think any of us would trade it for the world. If we're thinking about it in the right way. If we have a cynical attitude, then it's like, oh, what do I need this for? I want to give up on life. But if we have the proper, and, and really, what's Torah about if not to give us the proper perspective on life and our purpose? If we have the proper perspective, then it's, we embrace the challenge. We embrace the darkness. We embrace the perceived darkness because we know it's really light. And we know, I can bring this out. We can make it happen. We can make a difference here. And that's my purpose here. That's a that's a that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, just to make sure I understood something you said earlier. If the if the world is a garden, yeah. and is actually and the goal is to bring out the bring it out. that's yep. already there. The ma- when you say the masculine role is to fix things, yeah. um, is that is that and I assume at the end, you know, the punchline of the stories that are equal. There's balance, right? And all that. Sure. But the but is it that there are ultimately things that need fixing? Um, even in, in other words, if it's all if it's all dirt inside the engraved tablet, and all you have to do is scratch Brush it away, right. rather than make a new tablet, right? You know, what is the masculine role? In so, so we spoke about this the last week, the week before, um, a dual uh, Torah role. In other words, there is a con- there is 100% a masculine role. And when I say masculine role, I mean the energy role that can be done by both men and women, which is the idea of doing a mitzvah. When we do a mitzvah, we're bringing in an unlim- a, a, what Kabbalah refers to as a piece of the infinite light into the world. That, di- that wasn't here before you did the mitzvah. A mitzvah is a, is, a, is a... So in a sense, the world is a garden, but it is, there are some... You, can, you, can, plant, you can plant more trees. You think about it, right? A garden doesn't only mean that you, you stick with the existing. You can bring in more... Uh, you can plant another vineyard, another... So we have the ability to bring in more... We also, have the ability, we also have the ability to take care of what is. But here's the deal. And, and this really goes back to everything. To everything. To, uh, I forgot who that author is. When you see the world as a jungle, how likely are you to plant another tree? How likely are you to uncover... What am I uncovering? It's, it's like the broken... Who wrote that, that book? Modern writer. He wrote The Blink or whatever that is. Malcolm Gladwell, what, the tipping point. So you have the broken windows theory, the, the, right, the subways, New York, 
the school. Like if it looks abandoned, if you look at it, if it looks run down and broken, so so what's the likelihood that someone's going to fix it? On the contrary, the human reaction is, oh, one window's broken, smash another window, break, more graffiti. In other words, it's, 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 and it's an ugly human trait, but it is, it is what it, we're, not, we're not condoning it, I'm just saying this is, this is how it is. So, if you don't see a garden, so then, then how likely are you to plant another tree? You see it as a garden, you're going to take care of it, you're going to bring out its inner beauty, and you're going to add to the beauty. So there's absolutely both roles. And again, both roles are done by men and women. But one, but it's, but we have to understand that one role is channeling a feminine energy and one is channeling a masculine energy. It's important to understand the difference between the energies, not necessarily that one role, another role, but the energies are, are you're pulling on a different force. Yeah. Thank you. So, sure. So, I would, I would suggest that, um, you know, this, this tremendous attempt to understand and understand and understand and turn it over and turn it over, but ultimately, the acceptance that comes from the fact that we are very limited in our understanding and, you know, it, it, they say it is what it is. It's not necessary. it's not according to the way we want it, it's according to the way it is presented to us. And so if you view it that way, then you can sort of proceed with a certain amount of serenity. Right. Because it is, it, it's happening, right? Yeah. The negative is happening, and the I- positive is happening, and so... It's ultimately, there are certain areas that you can control in certain areas that it, the, the mystery of the right. whole thing. But I, th- but I think part of this idea is that whether we're dealing with the masculine energy or the feminine energy, it's an active role, it's not a passive role. Understand? So I'm saying, it is what it is. We have to be careful that that doesn't, that doesn't move me to a place of, I'm not going to push or pull. Understand, even the feminine energy, not even, the feminine energy, which is all about cultivation, is an active role. It's not going to come out by itself. Digging a well. Digging a well. The water's there. Uh, the water's there. Good, it's there. It's fine. You're, not, you're thirsty. You're not going to drink a thing if you don't dig. So you're, you can dig, but you don't know if the water's going to come out, is my point. You yeah, no, I understand. I understand what you're saying. No, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I just, no, I, I don't, I'm not saying you were saying this. I'm saying I just want to make sure that, this is, that, we, that we're all on the same page, that it's not an, a passive role of saying, you know, whatever happens, happens. It's an active role. And I'm bringing it out, and, and if, if it doesn't hit in this place, I'm going to keep on digging somewhere else. I'm not giving up. I know there's water here. I know there's, I know there's gems here. I'm not stopping to dig. I know, like the Baal Shem Tov says, Baal Shem Tov said, that there are treasures and diamonds and, and the greatest treasures buried in the earth. He says, literally, buried in the earth that we have no concept of. That we, have that, we that we don't even know exist. And how do you want to, how do you want to, how do you, how do you want to understand this? You can understand this on any level you want. How do I understand it? I understand it to mean, literally there are things that we have not discovered, obviously. Whoever thinks that we've discovered everything has not read history, number one. Yeah, in the 80s somebody said, oh, we don't need a computer that can run faster than XYZ. So we know, okay. So discard, you want to stick here? Alright, discard that, number one. Number two, it's there's potential for energy. So, I mean, there's so much energy and power in the world that we just we're not even tapping into. The Rebbe said in the '80s, early '80s, that our dependency on oil is a travesty. On rogue nations that can that we should that we should be dependent on that doesn't make any sense. He said the sun the sun has enough power has enough energy. To, and it's true. They, I saw a study last year, two years ago, maybe two years ago, 
CNN. It was on CNN, and uh, they said that sunlight for 30 minutes across the U.S. could sustain, could power the entire U.S. for an entire year. That was the whole, all the power that's being used in the U.S. for a year. If, if channeled one, you know, 100% redirected into back into energy, sunlight for 30 minutes across the U.S., if you're able to capture that completely, compl- uh, uh, efficiently convert it into energy, no problem. There's treasures. The Baal Shem Tov continues. Just like there are treasures buried in the earth, there's treasures buried within each and every single person. Treasures that we can't imagine are there. The question is, how do we look at the other person? How do we look at the world? Is it a place of emptiness? Is it a dark place? Is it a beautiful place? Jay. Do you think, going back to the garden analogy, yeah. would you say that masculine energy in the garden was more the weeding and the fencing and keeping the rodents out, and the feminine energy was the planting and nurturing? And no, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go. I, I think it's hard to, you know, once you get like, practical and concrete. I, I think that the feminine energy is more of let's let's bring out let's bring out the beauty of this garden. Whereas the masculine energy would be let's bring in new stuff into the garden. So let's go to Home Depot, let's pick up some stuff, we'll plant it in the garden. It's all t- I understand this. It, both are tending to the same garden. And both and both and a healthy way are predicated on Understand something, what comes out of this, fascinating. You know what comes out of this? And, and we, we hit on this before, but we didn't really... It's that the masculine energy really requires the feminine energy as its foundation. Think about it. Think about it. Think about, think, think about it. Think, why? Because, as I said before, if, it's not, if I don't see the inherent garden, so why am I going to fix it? Why am I going to... So, the, in a sense, the masculine energy derives its power and its source from the feminine energy, which again speaks to one point, one truth. That is that each of us has both energies. And one, cannot, one is not exclusive of the other in a, in a, you know, in a healthy way. You know, we, we have to interplay. So whether it's weeding or plant, I don't know, however you want to break it down. But I, the energies are certainly moving in. One is bring out and one is bringing in. Uh, I don't know if in and out. But one is bringing up and one is, is just bringing down. Or whatever. So to go back to the oil, I don't even know if this is germane, but oil is not inherently valuable. It's, what, it's, the, it's valuable because we assign it to be valuable. We need it for, for its purpose. So I don't know if this has anything to do with well, I was just saying, I was just saying, my point was that there are treasures in the earth that we don't even that we can't even tap into, even ones that we know about that we can't even we know that it's there and we can't even tap into solar energy efficiently. So I'm saying certain certain things we know of, and and the Bashan says as much as we know, there are treasures that we don't even know about. And I'm saying one way that huh? so I'm not, I'm speaking about oil. I mean, oil has its value. Oil. Oil, at the end of the day, can do stuff. Now, is it bad in other ways? Yeah, it's bad. It, it causes uh, negative stuff as well. So, I'm saying, forget the rogue. It's, it's, it's the, the, you know, it's... Anything inherently valuable. It's, it's like they're treasures Are they treasures? Or, is it, or do we think they might be treasures? Or they're treasures. The idea, whether, whether oil fits into that category, I'm going to let the experts decide. I don't, I don't know whether oil fits in that category. But are there treasures? They're absolutely treasures. That's are because there, we assign them to be valuable. No, because God, God says that they're treasures. Oh, okay. The Torah says that they're treasures. The Torah says it's a beautiful place. The Torah says this is a place worth cultivating. That's where we get uh, these, these relative ideas from. Um, 
it's interesting that when you look at human history, how we view uh, the jungle and the forest. Yeah. Um, you know, the Puritans and well, the Europeans thought it was the devil and the uh, the werewolf, and then the Europeans thought it's just a godless place that needs to be tamed. You know, make an English garden out of everything, make it sterile, make it boring, but make it um, make it uh, not so scary. So, <coughs> what's you know what what's the jungle? Well, the greatest source of life, and uh, also. There's lots of disease in the jungle, but there's all the cures for the disease in the jungle. So what, I mean, I spend a lot of time in nature. It's like, why, why am I scared of, you know, the dark and the wild? It's, well, because I don't trust the wild part of me, you know, because I'm unpredictable. Basically, deep down inside, when we don't trust the wild part in nature, we don't trust <coughs> the wild part of our own so I, I, human I, nature. So I think, look, I, I, think, I think we can agree like this, that... You know, what we're talking about is an understanding that, you know, we're not supposed to speak about gardens or jungles, but the, the idea is that even the, what looks like a jungle is also a garden. There's, 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 you said there's tremendous healing in the jungle as well. What I want to do now is I want to break into, because I said we're going to break into Chapter 5 last two weeks, we're actually going to break into Chapter 5. We're going to read. We're going to read that. Even if, even if it's the first paragraph, we're going to read this. So help me. Page 50. All right, we're doing it. Even if it's one paragraph, yeah, we have like two two minutes left. One paragraph, and here, because why do I want to do this? Number one, I want to bring it back. I want to bring it back into the context. And number two, I want to I want to crack into to chapter five, bringing it all back together. And I and I and I I, I appreciate the ability to have such a engaging discussion about such an important topic. So I want to thank all of you for 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 illuminating and and and, and helping this come out. Chap, getting it back to the text. Our central point is as follows. The feminine energy perceives the divine within the space, sees God in the world, whereas the masculine energy tends to not see that, to see something that's broken and needs to be fixed. When it came to the golden calf and there was an absence, Moses was gone. He said, I'll be back in 40 days. They miscalculated. 40 days came and went and he was not back. So now there's a void. The women say, don't worry about it. God is still with us. The men start panicking and say, how do we fix this? Guess what the men do? They fix it. They make a golden calf. We got to make something. We got to bring something new into this situation. The women say, "What are you hacking a chinik? You don't need to fix anything. God is still with us. There's nothing to fix." The men say, "We have to build something. We have to create a golden calf." It all goes back to the essence of faith. Faith means, in its most simple form, faith means, "Do I see God here, or is God not here?" Faith means God is here. And God is real, and God is pre- God is present. N- la- absence of faith means God is not here in this situation, in this place, in this person, whatever. Faith means presence of God. Absence of faith means not non-present or absence of presence of God. That's the simple point. The women felt in in this story. The women, the Jewish women, felt that God was present. That was their faith. The men felt that God was not present. We have to create a new God, in a sense, this idol, this golden calf. All right, who are we up to? Ed, did you read yes. last? Marnie, did you read? No. Open. Break us into chapter, fi- uh, chapter 5 on page 50. First paragraph. Souls from the feminine plane. Right. So the women That's enough. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just, uh, no, continue. No. Okay, let's discuss. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, shh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take it away. Women, however, rejected this explanation and did not participate with the mixed multitude, refusing to give up their jewelry, 
They did not. Well, no, as well. No, and, and as we've explained, it wasn't just because they were. No, as we explained, that that can't be the argument because when it came to the donation, we had this discussion. When it came to the the, the donation for the Mishkan for the tabernacle, they gave willingly of their their most precious possessions, which were the mirrors. Remember the story about the we spoke about this. They gave their own mirrors, their personal mirrors. They, de- they donated, and Moses, Moses said, oh, mirrors, it's a little vain vanity thing going on. And Hashem said, these are the most precious donations that I received. But after two months in the desert? After two months, huh? Oh, I... So hold on. So, anyway. Alright. They, well, they were well tended to in the desert. The clouds of glory. There was, they were well tended to in the desert. That's, everyone was well tended to. Now, the point here is that it wasn't because the women didn't want to give up their jewelry. It was because simply they refused to participate in this act that demonstrated... And understand something, understand something like this. Understand something like this. The women couldn't even understand the men. And the men couldn't even understand the women. In this example, in this story. The, huh? What? In real life it's also true. Sometimes. The women couldn't understand. What do you mean? What do you mean you have to... You want to create a golden calf? You want to... You what do you want my gold? What do you want the jewelry for? You want to throw it into a fire? Because... Moshe is missing, and you don't know if Hashem is with you, and you want to create a golden calf. Are you? What are you talking about? Understand when you when you're locked in when you're locked in to the space of God is with me. You don't. It's like the example, the real example I gave before, when the woman says to the man, "We should talk. Let's let's, let's talk. Let's go out. Let's talk about the relationship." Let's, and she's feeling like. Yeah, we're going to talk. The relationship is the relationship is there's a there's a core, there's a connection, there's a there's a good we're, we're in a good place. But let's make it better. And the guy sees, and she doesn't even see how the guys react. She doesn't even understand that the guy's going to take it as, oh no, you're you're I'm, I'm feeling threatened. Like like there's a breach in that. Now you don't like what? Where where are we? Where are we holding? I don't know, like what's going on. Like are we? And the guy on the other hand doesn't understand the woman. Sometimes, right? In this case, the women didn't understand the men. What do you want the goal for? Because God, of course God is with us. What are you saying? And the men couldn't understand the women. Of course we need to do something about it. We've got to fix this. <laughs> Moses is not here. How, how can we fix this? Look, in this story, the way it's explained over here, it is fitting, that, it is fitting the typecast of the masculine and feminine energy with the gender roles. Understand, though, that as we've explained, it doesn't... It doesn't have to work like that. It doesn't always work like that. Most of the time it doesn't work like that. But the point is, I think the story really illuminates the two approaches. When, as, Kabbalah, as Kabbalah takes apart the story, what it does is, and what we're doing in this process, is really demonstrating in a very stark way the different possibilities of reaction to crisis. Do I feel like it will work out? Let me make that happen. Let me, let me allow that solution to emerge. Or is it, I need to fix it because otherwise it's not going to work. Otherwise, without me, it's not. Look, both approaches are valid, but at the point where the masculine approach says, let's make a golden calf, at that point, it's overstepped its bounds. All right. We've broken into chapter 5. Next week, we will continue. We're going to get into Malchut, Nukva, Zerampin, Atzilut. Look at these words. Bria, it's here, Asiya. All right, next week. Wait one second, one second, one second, one second. Let me, let me speak about this briefly because this is very important. There's, and, and, and here's how I want to frame this. If you just indulge me for another 60 seconds. Here's how I want to frame this. 
in my opinion, and and this is not this is not only an opinion, but this is something that I that I see, I deeply feel and see and know, etc. To the deepest core of my being, what Torah has to teach, what Kabbalah has to teach, what the teachings of of Hasidic, Hasidic philosophy have to teach, these are life changing teachings that each one of us can benefit from. Sometimes. It's easier to relate to practical life than others. Sometimes it's more theoretical, sometimes it's very practical. We have, the, I'm speaking about Thursday night, because Rabbi Shaistau, who is a friend of mine, not exactly, he's an acquaintance of mine, he has taken Torah teachings, Kabbalistic mystical teachings, and he has made them, that's the word I'm looking for, so applicable and practical and real and relevant in a revolutionary way. When I say revolutionary, I understand that it's not new stuff, but it's accessible. it's making it accessible in a, in, in a way that perhaps has never been put down and framed in that way before. And so I encourage each of you, we are, we've had a tremendous response to this. And we're, I, I want everyone, to, if you can, I would like everyone to be there. This is, it's going to be an amazing evening. The, 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 the talk, the specific talk that he's going to speak about, how to get over the you ruin my life syndrome, it's really about the concept of codependency. And how, you know, we're... It's... The subtitle is The Highly Spiritual Art of Healing Old Emotional Pain and Letting Go of Resentments. This is something that each of us, every single person, has these feelings. And it's no surprise to me, even though I don't, I don't remember if we did this intentionally, that Thursday is Rosh Chodesh Adar. And as we know, the month of Adar is associated with? Uh, happiness. happiness. And the singular way to achieve happiness, I spoke about this on Shabbos, the singular way to, to achieve happiness is by returning, in a sense, it's the feminine approach, returning to the inner child, in a sense. Because as children, hopefully we were all happy. And then life got in the way, and stuff got in the way. The idea is, and letting go this, right? Taking off the dirt to reveal the inner joy is not something that, oh, if I buy this, I'll be happy. If I get this, if I achieve that, if I... All of that is the masculine approach to happiness, which is, let's get more stuff in here and we'll be happy. That's not where happiness, happiness comes from within. And this is really about how to get... I wrote in the email last week, stop fetching, be happy. Here's how. This is really about happiness. And it's really about releasing the inner joy. So please join us Thursday night for Rabbi Shea's tab. I, I would. Oh, I will ask you this one. One final. One final ask. I have these postcards. We had uh, a little bit of an overrun. If anybody has, no, I mean we we printed uh, like several thousand of these. So these are. There's only like I don't know 150 here, or maybe 100 that are left. If anybody can, um, if anybody has Starbucks or even if somebody's in Tokyo Hills, they could put them around, give them to friends. They're just sitting here, and and to me. What's, what would be the right way to say? I think it's a gift to share some of the teachings that we're going to get Thursday night with others. I think it's a gift, and I think it's... I cannot encourage... And those who have read his book know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a gift to share with others these teachings and this idea. So please, if you can, take some, distribute, pass it around, and uh, please God, hope to see you Thursday. All right.